Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 Hi. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello, all the people. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello for listening. If you're listening, hello to you. Thank you for hello. You get a, a free hello for that. You can take that hello to the bank. Um, because it's, as everybody knows, at the day of recording we record on Wednesdays, it's Greetings Wednesday, where you're in, in, encouraged to say hello, um, greetings, welcome, even. As opposed to the days where you're discouraged from greeting people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that's fuck off Thursday. Um, that'll be tomorrow. At the time you're listening, um, all of our hellos will be outdated because it's actually fuck off Thursday. So really, I should be saying fuck off. Fuck off. Yeah, hello everyone listening. Fuck off. Yeah, fuck off everyone. Fuck off Thursday to you. Fuck (laughs) right off. Um, Okay, right. Podcast. We got to do one of those. We got to do one of those. uh, Because we said we would. (laughs) (laughs) We said we would. And, you know, we are nothing if not people of our word. That is the only reason this podcast happens. It's just because we said we would and people take it on trust that it'll get done. <laughs> yeah, we just turn up on a Wednesday because that's what Wednesdays are now. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, I don't, like, you know, ask earlier in the week, like, hey, do we still want to do one of these? I'm like, no, it's Wednesday. We do it. That's what we do. We just take it as read. It's taken as read. And we, in fact, if we can't do one, we inform ahead of time because that's unusual. Um, I don't know why I'm suddenly fascinated and bedazzled by this news. <laughs> by the news that we just do this podcast without really thinking about it. Yeah, this news that we just decided to do a podcast and still do it. Um, after four or four years? Five years? I don't even know anymore. Yeah, we're, we're, over, we're over 200 episodes, so that's over four years. Yeah. yeah. And all of them exist because people just took it on trust that they would be there. And they were. <laughs> That's incredible. That's content. That is content-driven <laughs> content right there. And for some bizarre reason, y'all still like listening to us. <laughs> yeah, like, they're, they're, them's the fools in this exchange. The ones yeah. who not only take it on on trust that we will just do one of these, <laughs> but then also trust it will be worth listening to. And for some people have trusted it for over 200 bloody episodes. I wonder how many people have just gotten to a point where they kept waiting for the podcast to get better. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be good in a minute. (laughs) And just like eventually just gave up. (laughs) Like, fuck these guys. Fuck these three. Real talk. I'm I'm amazed by anyone that is still listening and has listened from the start and religiously listens. Because like... I love listening to podcasts. I've fallen behind on so many good podcasts that I am not up to date with. Welcome to Night Now is a fucking good podcast, and I don't... I'm nowhere near up to date on that, but people listen to our bullshit. I've listened to two podcasts in my life, and by two, I don't mean... I I regularly listen to two different ones. I've literally listened to a podcast twice in my life. (laughs) Yeah, they were both by um, Blind Boy from the Rubber Bandits, who's an Irish fellow. He's uh, his podcast's yeah. worth listening to. Actually, it's good. Well, that makes it different from this one. Talks about all kind of mental health issues and stuff. Well, see, clearly it's not as good as this podcast because you come back to this podcast once a week, every week, Gavin. You are a regular listener. No podcast is as good as this one. By the way, uh, uh, my apologies that my sound quality isn't going to be as good as usual today because I am between studios. So I'm kind of 
sat here with my SM58 microphone just like talking into a computer. How dare you? The podcast is ruined. The podcast is cancelled. <laughs> we've done it every week because we thought we were supposed to, but this is the straw that broke us, Gaff. I have ruined ruined the podcast now. Yeah, you've ruined it, Gaff. Utterly wrecked. There's never been a podcast. There's never been a podquisition that will sound as bad as this one. No, never. Ever at all. Not not even that one where I was gone and it sounded like it was recorded through like two <laughs> tins on the end of string. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's on a, the that, plus side. But oh yeah, no, no, you talk away. Oh no, it's fine. Oh, we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that because Justin edits these and he edits away when we talk over each other. Ah, uh, okay. And he tells me not to apologize to each other, which is tough because he's asking, like, I mean, I'm the most English person I know, so I will apologize for anything at any given excuse. As someone who has edited this podcast before, you can apologize, but when, when you do the apologizing, no, 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 you, no, you, no, you, whoever starts talking afterwards just can't say the words, Okay, I was just saying, or anything that, like, the run-in where it's like, ah, sorry, I'll just. Yeah. It's like, nah, nah, you can't make the apology part of your sentence. you got to do your apology, segment it from the sentence. There's your podcasting facts. Exactly. If we were professional podcasting broadcasters, we would know that and inherently would have been doing that for 200 plus episodes. But I feel like we need another 200 to really get the hang of this podcasting. I edited God knows how many episodes of this podcast. I still will, like, do that thing where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm just going to say, and I'm like, I know that I shouldn't do that. I had to bloody edit myself out doing it, but I still do it. We'll definitely have this down by 2022. Yeah. I, li- I like to think so, yeah. Um, if I'm still around by then, then I reckon I'll be really decent at podcasting. I reckon we'll have this sorted by Podquisition 1000. <laughs> at the very least. Yeah, let's let's make that the soft target goal is to be good at podcasts by episode 1000. <laughs> and if we hit it sooner, hey, 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 bonus. But we're not saying, just take it on trust. Boners. Like You take it on trust that we, boners, take it on boners. This is the thing is when you have an English accent, bonus and boners sound like the same word. Boners. I've not taken enough advantage of that. Yeah, boners level. I just did some quick maths, every, everyone. Are you excited for this maths? If this podcast ever hits episode 1000, that means we'll still be doing it 16 years from now in the year 2035. Oh, I'll definitely have been found face down in a ditch before then. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Something will have gone wrong by then. <laughs> um... Right, welcome to Podquisition. You're very, very welcome. Fuck off because it's Fuck Off Thursday. Uh, I'm Jim Sterling. I'm your host as per the norm. Uh, I am joined by Laura. Hello, Laura. Hello, how are you doing, Jim? Uh, it's been rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, yeah. It's been one succession of events after another. I'll only talk about one. Um... I'll talk about the others when there's enough distance for me to get over my choked rage. Yes. Um, But I do want to just say that my my grandfather passed this past week and he's the closest to a a father figure that I have. Mm. Um, Because there is so much shit going on, I reckon I'll process that in about eight to ten months. So if if I burst into tears on the podcast eight to ten months from now, you'll know it hit me. Um, so right now I've just been soldiering through, but I did want to just take some time to, um, just mention how much I owe my grandparents, both of them. Um, my nan passed the year before, um, they, 
as far as I'm concerned, are my parental figures. Um, so they're both away now, and yeah, I just I, I owe them so much, and uh, would would not be here or, or in the position I'm in uh, without their help. They got me where I am today. They really did. They and, and even now, um, now that they've gone, they're still saving my ass, um, which is all they've ever done. So I did want to just say. Thank you to, to my nan and my granddad, even though obviously they can't hear it. And were they alive, they wouldn't listen to this dross anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they prefer Radio 2. Um, actually, no, Radio Kent. Uh, this is Radio Kent. Um, but anyway, uh, th- that, that it is what it is. It's, it's a... So too many people. I'm at that age now where you start just people start dropping. Yeah. Uh, it, it sucks. But that was, that was one of... Th- the saddest but also least infuriating things to have happened last week. Uh, it's been a time. Yeah. Uh, and we're also in the process of moving um, recording facilities to new office and studio space. So that's why things have been a bit different on my end. Like I've not got the Jimquisition lectern or anything set up yet. So I've been filming in front of mm. uh, my toy shelf and things. Um, but anyway, I uh, didn't want to bring things down. Like I said, I'm not even beginning to process it yet until god knows when you're you're in the midst of everything where it's like there is so much everything you can't anything right now so yeah pretty much pretty much so it's been rough for me so uh be understanding if there are some days i just take off and that because i i really every now and then i'm just like i can't do anything except sit sit around in my pants watching wrestling or like old tv shows like the fast show oh the fast show that was a great show gavin hello yeah hello gavin hello you're on the podcast hello you like the fast show fast show i did watch the fast show yeah yeah it was great i much i much preferred the fast show to little britain yeah, I actually, I, I think I've mentioned this before, I saw the Little Britain recorded live. The Fast Show had more than one joke for each character. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, I, I love Lucas and Williams, the Little Britain guys. I, I loved Rock Profile, um, which is an amazing show. Um, Little Britain, I actually enjoyed season one and two. It was season three that turned me off, when it really was that situation of, oh, it, it really is the same joke every week. And they're not yeah. even good jokes anymore. Like, oh, it's an old woman and she's just pissing. That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, that was a joke, wasn't it? was just that old woman who is just The old just woman pissing. pisses a lot. Um, and I'm not saying that piss jokes can't be funny or the idea of someone pissing a lot. Yeah. Done right, but it was just an old... It was just, I'm going to stand here and a water pump is going to squirt fake piss out my skirt. That's that's a that's a thing for like you know private time. That's not for BBC prime time. You know. Was it the fast show where you'd have the guy who was like, I was very very drunk. I was very 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 very, very, very drunk. drunk. <laughs> yeah, that was Paul Whitehouse's Rowley Birkin. Um, I somehow skipped and I must have skipped an episode because I missed the famous one where they did the Rowley Birkin, but he was talking about like a lost love or something. And there was no laugh track and it just ends with a single tear and him saying very drunk in a really somber tone. I used to like it when they did those little like serious monologues. Um, But for those who don't, who aren't aware, the fast show was a sketch show, quite an innovative one actually for its time Mm. in the late nineties where Sketches could be as short as 10 seconds, but no longer than three minutes. So 
the, I think the first episode crammed like 27 sketches into a 28 and change minute broadcast. Um, there was, and it influenced things like Catherine Tate and uh, the Little Britain guys. It was very influential, but it's funny how I never see it brought up now. And it was a cultural phenomenon in the UK in the late 90s. Everyone could say, you'd see different random TV shows or people at work or school say things like Scorchio or, you know, mm. Unlucky Alf's thing, just, oh, booger, uh, suit you, sir. Like, it wasn't just one or two famous sketches. Almost every single sketch they did had a household catchphrase. And nowadays, like, people don't talk about it. Yeah. You still do. You still do hear the mimetic uh, catchphrases from it, like "suits you, sir," and 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 that. Yeah. Oh, I, I guess I've not been in the UK for a while, um, so my perspective might be a bit different. Because certainly, no one over here knows them. Wasn't the prime minister um, the dude from Buffy, like Buffy's mentor? Wasn't that the same guy who played the prime minister? Uh, that's Little Britain. Oh, it's Little Britain. Oh. See, I'm getting the two of them mis- mixed up now. See, I forgot that Catherine Tate had a sketch show because all I remember her for now was being uh, the the Doctor's companion in Doctor Who for a while. Yeah, Doctor's companion, and in the US, also very well known for being on the US Office. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Um, that's what she's primarily known for out here. But yeah, the Catherine Tate show. I remember. Um, what was that? Her famous one was it? Was it a schoolgirl who used to say, "Am I bothered?" Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bothered. I'm a bothered. Uh, I'm a bothered. Which was very similar to Little Britain's whole thing of um, no, but yeah, but. Did, didn't she have like a really rude grand character? Probably. They all do. Every sketch show does. <laughs> they all had a rude old person character. Yep. Yeah. Um, if you've just joined us, we're talking about British sketch comedy. Yes, this is our sketch comedy uh, podcast. Should we should we talk a bit about video game stuff now we're like 15ish minutes in, you know. I mean, why not? Just while we're on on the topic of comedy though, the 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 new season of Always Sunny is so fucking amazing <laughs> and everyone should watch it. I've only caught the first episode so far, but I do want to check it out. I've watched whatever the most recent one added to Netflix is. Yeah. Uh, my opinion on that show remains the same, which is that like there are times where I have to... There are bits of that show where I watch through and go, ooh, not super comfortable with that. Yeah. But mm. there are also times where that show is legitimately quite funny and it's very well paced and stuff. So I'm like, I wouldn't recommend it to people, but also I have enjoyed it a lot. It's one of those ones that come with warnings. Just like, be prepared. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I feel like as it's got, as time has gone on with it, the characters in the show also start to react in the way you were saying as well, Laura, just there, in that if, if a certain character says something, the other characters would be like, whoa, dude. The, the most recent season that's on Netflix actually had a moment where a joke about trans people and pronouns was made, and then one of the characters calls them out and goes, no, that's kind of shitty. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, o- okay. Yeah, they've, they've done that. Um, yeah, like more recent ones have been a bit more aware and called out some of their earlier stuff a little bit more. But yeah, if if you watch Always Sunny, I think it's a, you know, I I, I laugh at it, my head off at it. I still legitimately love the Dayman Nightman musical is wonderful. That's brilliant. And the the final episode this season where Mac is dealing with his gayness is just such an amazing like such an amazing episode. Oh, 
it's a legitimately good, serious episode about like yeah. dealing with family and coming out and trying to express who you are, and it's lovely. It's like really surprisingly poignant for that show. Yeah, that it, that's one episode I would say like that. That's how you do that kind of thing right. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check it out because because I like I said I only managed to catch the first episode of the latest season, yeah. and and it would be good to like watch current things instead of keep watching stuff from the 90s in this season d has has d has discovered the words a soy boy beta cock and, and how she calls <laughs> every man she meets a soy boy oh, yes. beta every cock. every every man is a soy boy beta cock and it's wonderful and i saw someone i saw someone on twitter being like yeah you see if it's the uh, even the always sunny people are like you know saying this about you and it's like well the whole point of the show is like they're awful people they're shitty so, people you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's, it's the point is that she's throwing it round as a as a meaningless thing that means nothing. Dee is an absolutely horrible person. <laughs> yeah, they all are. Yeah. Yeah. Video, video, video games. games. Yes. Uh, on the topic of horrible people, let's talk about some not horrible people video game stuff that happened this week. Because all three of us were on a live stream that happened over yes, we several days that we should probably mention. It's the topic, is it not? It's the topic. Uh. YouTuber H Bomber Guy did a Donkey Kong 64 101% completion run that apparently you can do that in as little as five hours. It took him like 50 odd hours. The whole time raising money for a UK trans charity called Mermaids, as a big fuck you to Graham Lynham, who, on the topic of sketch comedy, used to write stuff like, uh, was it the IT crowd that he did? Uh, Father Ted? Was that him? How do you, is it Linehan or Linen? Linehan, Linen. I don't know how it's pronounced, but Linehan. That one who in the nineties wrote some. Oh wait, like, no, no, it's pronounced Twat Bollocks. Twat Bollocks. The one who wrote some sitcoms in the nineties and turned out to be a huge fuckball. Like at this point, his whole Twitter presence is just shitting on trans people. It's, he's really obsessed. It's kind of sad. Yeah, he's a one man turf activism group well it's he's he's run out of like actual tv shows to make and gone oh god how do i stay relevant i know i'll be angry at the trans people yeah i'll be the guy they bring on news debates about trans people's existence as if it's a debate yeah for balance that's his whole thing he's part of that whole basically he calls himself a progressive feminist and all this shit but he's on that same right-wing wingnut talk circuit now yeah it's it's ludicrous and the reason why th- this live stream happened is L- Linehan, Linen, he-, he was very instru- like very vocal about getting the, uh, the the UK lottery to withdraw a big lottery fund they were going to give to this trans charity of about half a million pound. This guy claims him- himself to not be transphobic, but wants to sh- like actively try to shut down a charity. Laura, yeah, am I right in in? Uh thinking that the reasons that they got it shut down was based on false um information about the the charity 100 percent. like basically they started uh like linehan and a bunch of trans exclusionary feminist people basically started a big letter writing campaign to the lottery that misrepresented mermaids as a charity that was forcing tr- children to become trans and converting them and pushing them into surgery it's like no like in the uk Trans kids can't get any medical help whatsoever till they're 18. So, like, anyone who says they're forcing surgery on kids is lying in the first place. But it's like, this is a charity for people who've already come out as trans as kids who are looking for support. Because 
if you have to wait and go through a puberty that's not right for you, that's gonna fucking suck, and it's people to just talk to and help you get through that until you can get help. Like, it's a really useful charity, and they're like, no, it's turning the kids trans. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it seems no different than people claiming that in the like sixties or whatever that gay people were trying to recruit children. I'm trying to remember the name of the actress that uh, was on that Bryant something. No, it was Anita Bryant. There we are, Anita Bryant. Um, sort of in the seventies, I think it was cracking on the the gay people were trying to recruit children, and history you know, marked her as a bigoted piece of shit, and I'm seeing the exact same rhetoric spouted here. Yeah, if you look back at, like, the 70s stuff with with gay people being, like, accused of being predatory to kids, the result of that is that you have no LGBT spaces that are under 18 spaces. Like, you have gay bars and gay clubs, and you don't have anything that's, like, non-alcohol related and all ages, because the gay community didn't want to be seen accepting any kids anywhere near them in case accusations were made. And it was a really horrible thing that, like, ruined a sense of community. Yeah. Well, gay people were became synonymous in the media with paedophiles and rapists. And we're seeing the exact same bullshit happen to trans people. There, there are people today who still think that. Yeah. But, like, there were bathroom bill arguments made to keep gay people out of bathrooms for fear they would be predators. Like, a lot of the rhetoric is the same. But on the positive stuff was this live stream that the H-Bomber guy was like, hey... Maybe I'll raise like three grand or something. He raised over three hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which was like amazing. Um, but I think like more amazing than that was just it was really wonderful seeing the whole world just stand up for a couple of days and go, "Yeah, trans people, we see you. Fuck yeah, trans rights." It took off in such a it took off in such a natural grassroots manner. People just started talking about it and sharing it, and suddenly it was growing. Yeah, like, I I didn't have a working computer for most of Saturday, and, like, I got my computer back up and running and was like, oh, yeah, I'll check how this is going. And suddenly it's like, oh, he's at $240,000, and he's had, like, Chelsea Manning and um, a bunch of fucking people. I think Adam Conover was on there at some point. John Romero, I think, was on there. It... it, it blew the fuck up oh yeah like like I, I went on the stream about three times um and when i went first when i was first on it it was a big deal it was oh look jim sterling yeah by the third <laughs> one i left after 10 minutes because i'm like there are way more famous interesting people than me there are dozens of trans people who need to speak like i need to just turn up make a joke about graham linehan wanking and then leave <laughs> Um, because by the t- time the third one had come round, you know, Alexandria Cortez had been on. I mean, Christ. Yeah. I was so pissed that I left, like, just before she came I, on. <laughs> I, I, I was on twice. The first time it was pretty quiet. I yeah. Twitter was like, oh, Laura's around. Get Laura on. Get Laura on. And I got to speak with um, Left at London, who makes some wonderful tweets and music. And I was very happy to get to chat with them. Was it Casey who brought you in as well, Laura? Uh, oh, yeah. Me and Casey have known each other for a while. Casey's Casey's wonderful. Big shout out to Casey. Oh, absolutely. Follow Casey Explosion on Twitter. Casey is the best sloth on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yep. The only sloth I'll do business with. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I had some like I have a lot of feelings. I'm still trying to unpack about that live stream. It was mm-hmm. it was a lot that happened. Um, 
it it was amazing seeing so many people come together and be so positive. Um, seeing that the Twitch chat through almost the entire thing stayed positive and not transphobic was amazing. That was incredible. I will give I will give a lot of credit to that to the the mod team. They did a wonderful job. Yeah. I think it's also worth noting, and I think this is a valid thing to point out, is that I think at least a portion of that is because it wasn't a trans person hosting this live stream. There's a certain degree of when a cis person is talking about these issues, people will stop and listen rather than saying that the person speaking is wrong to a certain degree. I mean, it makes it always makes it easier to be a, a cis bloke. It's always going to make things a little easier. Yeah. Did you feel, Laura, that... um? A, a few like that a few trans people did get to get their voices out this weekend though just on like during the downtime when he was off us and stuff yeah yeah so i uh i'll, I'll try and get into my thoughts and no, none of these should be seen as taking away from the amazing thing that this was i'm just trying to be frank about some of my thoughts on it um i think that it is certainly valid to acknowledge that for a while during that live stream, the point of it became, here is another famous person who wants, who is coming in to say, hello, trans. And that was sort of what the stream was for a while, which is great for getting eyeballs on. But I think there was definitely balance in the, like, there was definitely value in the time that was spent with trans people talking about trans stuff was, yeah. was useful. Um, I also acknowledge the the discrepancy in terms of uh, white people versus people of colour, for example. But I think a lot of that's born out of the fact that this was never planned to be as huge a thing as it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think because it happened so orga organically. And yeah, yeah. The, what, Laura, when, when I was in there, it was literally the Ireland stream. There were three other Irish people in there with me. <laughs> yeah. But like, there, there was some wonderful stuff on there that was really informative. Like, I, I know at some point they had a trans woman on who was talking about um, the book burnings in Nazi Germany and why our history of uh, recorded history of trans people only really goes back to the 1930s because everything before that was in a big German sex institute that got burned by the Nazis like for anyone that complains why is there no record of trans people before 1930 because the Nazis got rid of it um yeah there was there was stuff like that I got to go on there and talk a bit about um the correlation between trans status and autism and that seemed to go over really well and yeah it was just a really magical weekend to be a trans person on the internet and go everyone's just being everyone seems like they've got our backs and that's that's a rare thing to feel like online particularly in gaming internet yeah yeah <clears throat> I mean it it, it really says a lot that a weekend Donkey Kong stream made people cry, like, like because they'd never seen that much vocal support for them and, and what they go through. Yeah. Um pretty much all my trans friends the, the, the word crying was the word they were using yeah. that weekend. Um to the point where I I was on the stream the second time and, and was fighting back tears at the end. Um because H-Bomb made my friends cry and it was actually a good thing that he did that. Um, and just everyone who was on that stream were amazing and it was just, yeah, I'm so happy for people. It was an overwhelming experience, but it was also like, I connected, I managed to like finally meet and connect with a bunch of trans people who I've known and respected their work and like never had a chance to chat with them. And this live stream ended up being a way to get those conversations going. Yeah. It was a lovely thing. Um, 
there, there was one other thing I wanted to mention while we were on this, and this is something I've seen a fair amount in the, the days afterwards that I think is worth addressing, is I've seen some people in the days since this live stream making statements and sentiments that basically amount to if it was this easy, why didn't trans people just do this already? Oh, for God's sake. Why didn't trans people go out and raise this money? And the short version is, and it's similar to a point I made before, it's much easier to get support behind a minority movement when you are not a part of that group. Mm. Uh, it's much easier for someone who is not transgender to be taken seriously when they do a thing to raise money for trans people, because it goes, ah, they're not directly affected, but they still think it's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, you just have to look at, like, uh, any esports event or like when the video when the game awards aired at the end of the last year whenever a, a trans person is seen the audience you, the chat in like a twitch stream turns vile yeah turns poisonous they're not like trans people are not allowed the time of day half the time and they have it, it's almost like you need a cis person to smuggle trans people into a conversation about trans people exactly like I, I know trans people who have tried things like this before to raise money for trans charities or to do trans fundraisers. And even, usually, either no one pays attention or entirely the wrong people pay attention because that's how being trans on the internet can be. Yeah, and I mean, to say nothing of, you know, the mental health issues that arise from just a lifetime of being treated like shit, um, the money issues, like like... They people don't want to give trans people jobs, mm. um, let alone medical treatment. It's like a lot of trans people are trying to keep their fucking heads above water, yeah. let alone being able to to maintain a, a public enough profile to get the kind of stream going. Well, it's like it's easy to forget the reason I went on Patreon in the first place and started games writing full time was mainly because like I had to leave a supermarket job under mysterious circumstances that on paperwork were nothing to do with my transition, but conveniently, like, three weeks after I transitioned, ooh, we're getting too many complaints, we can't tell you what they are, you've got to go. Like, I'm only in this job now because people are really sh like, trans stuff and employment is a big problem. Yeah, like, it's very easy to say, well, why don't you do it yourself, when you don't have an incalculable amount of roadblocks in your way. Yeah. Roadblocks I couldn't even begin to appreciate. Like, I, I can recognise that trans people go through hell, but from my position, um, my relatively safe position, I couldn't begin to imagine how bad it is. And I would never be so arrogant as to presume I could. I, I suppose the only other thing I was gonna I was gonna say about this stream is to just bring it back to the positives before we wrap up was... Sure. It's an absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing job that um, that was done by H Bomber Guy and the whole team that was running that stream, the mods, the skeleton crew, everyone did amazing work. Not only did they raise like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for for mermaids, they raised. A, uh, mermaids have said there were a lot of additional donations outside of the through the Twitch stream donations. Clearly, because word of mouth had got out. That's good. Uh, there were people who put crowdfunders for various transition-related needs in the Twitch chat and had them funded within seconds. Uh, there was someone uh, that that had a that was trying to raise money for a wheelchair. Within, like, 30 seconds, this, this thing that had been up for weeks and not made enough money was, like, double-funded. Right. Again, to, to answer the people who are like, why don't trans people do it themselves? 
they're trying. They didn't. They need visibility. Yeah. And this stream gave a lot of trans people visibility. I. It was an amazing thing to see, and I hope that some momentum from this stays, or at the very least, that trans people who saw this can go, "Hey, maybe there are a good number of people out there that will have our backs if people try and be shitty to us." That'd be nice. I mean, certainly. We now know of some high-profile figures who do have their backs, and that's good to see. Yeah. Um, and I hope we see it continue. I really do, because, yeah, the momentum of this is... Yeah. It's worth keeping going. Well worth keeping going. And it was beyond surreal this weekend to talk Beaver Bother strategy with Chelsea Manning. That was just surreal. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um... So, with that out of the way, games we played this week. Jim, you, you played that, that Scary Zombles game this week. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, Resident Evil 2, innit? As has Resident Evil 2 doing, treating you. It's very good. Is it very good? It's very good. I've been, he- I've been hearing so many good things about this. I don't mind telling you, it's very good. Um, yeah, this is... This is what a remake should be, really, when it comes to these re-releases of games. You look at something this comprehensively, comprehensively rather, well done. Um, it's impressive work. You know, it, it stands alone as its own game. Uh, obviously, it takes so many beats from the original Resident Evil 2, but it is mechanically its own thing. Yeah, have they changed it to um, over the shoulder as opposed to... Top down, is it? Is it yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so it's been completely rebuilt then. Oh, absolutely, yeah. This is from the ground up. It's very similar to the Resident Evil remake on GameCube, the one that is also released everywhere. Um, but even more impressive, I feel. Um, the gameplay is closer to Resident Evil 4, but zombies are intimidating and take a wallop. Uh, so you're still better off running. I have a few issues with that. Uh, I guess I have one major issue with that in that I never felt like I always... There were moments where I felt like I just didn't have enough ammo to deal with the situation and sneaking was impossible because of the tight corridors. Um, you know, you're told, for example, that liquors can't see, so you're supposed to sneak round them. But they're almost always in small corridors to the point where you have to touch one to move past it, and then it gets you. Um, and the zombie grab attacks uh, end up more annoying than scary, because they really can just lock onto you and latch on and grab and get a free hit. Um, but, for the most part, this game is great. Just really, really good. Um, the zombies, when they're not being annoying, are suitably intimidating. The sound design really requires some praise because the zombies have some of the most blood-curdling screaming and and groaning that I've heard. Um, Some of the scariest-sounding zombies. Um, The way they animate as well, they they really do look like shuffling corpses, not just bodies to be mowed down like they are in a lot of zombie games. Every zombie feels like it could take you. Um, given half a chance. Um, it does get a bit annoying when six headshots are <laughs> like ploughed into them and they still sit up. That would really... That sounds annoying. That gets annoying, but, you know, eventually I ended up just 
using bullets to knock them away so I could get through. Um, and once you get into that sort of swing of it, uh, you can get a bit used to it. Except for that one bit when I was poisoned and in a rush and trying to remember a puzzle and walked through a doorway and a zombie grabbed me and rather than be scared, I just shouted, oh, fuck off. Oh, f like it was fuck off Thursday. I was just, oh, fuck off, zombie. You were not needed right now. Um, but that sounds like a massive complaint, but that really is, that's all I've got for the most part. That and the zombie character models, they could have done with one or two more so they weren't so repetitive. And Leon, um, I say Leon, I, it's just that I only played the Leon campaign in time. Uh, still got to do the Claire one. Leon and Claire, but I can only really speak for Leon, have, um, you know, automated responses to things. Um, like many video game protagonists do. Uh, but the context to which those responses are applied, sometimes the context is missing. So, for example, Leon could be shooting a zombie through a doorway. The door closes on the zombie you were just fighting and it hits the door once and Leon goes, what the hell? As if he's suddenly surprised when I'm like, mate, you're just looking at the zombie. Or when he complains about how much it's taking to uh, put a zombie down when you've just put a zombie down. Um, little things that break the immersion a little bit. But other than that, like, the puzzles are great. Um, the map is familiar, but there's enough changed in it to where it still feels completely fresh. Uh, some of the encounters you do remember from Resident Evil 2, the original, uh, are just exciting now to see them with these really quite gorgeous graphics and the gameplay changes. You know, various fights with Birkin, being stalked by Mr. X. Do you think it'd be even more fun for someone who's never played uh, Resident Evil 2? Uh, or would it does it actually lose something? It would be different. Yeah, because I, I never played the second one. Uh, I don't think you... You don't need to. Two and, two and three. Th two and three were the only two I didn't play. Right. I mean, you might even get a little bit more from me who's, you know, I was comparing to the old one a bit too much. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, well, you know, I prefer the way they did it in this or, you know, oh, well, that's different from this. Have they changed up certain, like, story beats to surprise you in places and things like that? Or uh, It's been a long time since I played the original Resident Evil 2, but certainly there's some streamlined stuff. Um, if I recall correctly, it takes a lot longer in the original game to get to the police station um, you, you go through Raccoon City a bit first, whereas here it's they get you into the police station pretty quick. Um, so a lot's been streamlined, but that doesn't mean it's short or anything because yeah. there's still a lot more going on in the game. Yeah. Um, so it's it's snappier, doesn't waffle as much, really focuses on the key, like it hits the key beats from the original game mm. while fleshing it out in its own way. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I've I've not had a chance to play the full game yet, but I've played a couple of demos here and there at uh, mm -hmm. preview events and stuff. My my feeling about this game, and I I hope that this is sort of shone through to the full game, is that I kept comparing it to other remasters in recent years, and particularly um that Crash Bandicoot uh, remaster from a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, in the that Crash Bandicoot remastered. It did make everything look a lot better, and visually it was a lot easier to, to go and revisit because of that. But they didn't revisit the things that make... Mm, 
the design decisions about that game that make it difficult to revisit. Like, that game still has some fundamental design flaws that are, like, not good things. Yeah. Resident Evil 2's remake seems to have gone that extra step where they've actually made the effort to say we're not just visually up and overhauling this and remaking it visually, but we're going to redo everything. Oh yeah, mechanically this is a different beast entirely. Yeah, and that's 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 a thing I'm that was the main thing that put me off going back to like the original version of Resi 2 is just not so much the visuals, but mechanically it felt rough to play. Yeah, well I mean a lot of them did and people said survival horror games were better that way because the the bad controls made you more helpless. But Resident Evil 2 and I've said this both in a video I did on the demo and a video I did on the full game this shits on that suggestion because the controls here are perfectly adequate. Um, in fact, I, I've always liked the aiming in a Resident Evil game post-4. I always liked how precise it felt. Um, and that's all here, but the game is still fucking scary. And you, never, you always feel like when there's a lot of zombies, you feel like, holy shit, I'm in trouble. Um, and that's before, you know, the tyrant shows up and starts stalking you throughout the police station and you're running and hiding and it's terrifying. I was just I was just remembering the PS um or the the original anyway, I think it was the PS two I first played it on, of the 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 way you had to aim in Resident Evil Four where you had to hold down R one and aim with your left thumb and then fire was like X or something. It was this really crazy control scheme like this is more standard. Yeah, they've they've taken a lot of inspiration from past games, up to and including Resident Evil 7, yeah. uh, and really distilled it into a just a really fucking good survival horror game. Two really good Resident Evils in a row. That's not something I saw coming, but happy to take it. Yeah, and, and two, you know, rather different experiences that still share a lot of the same sort of genetics. Mm. Um, both very well worth checking out for both similar and different reasons. Uh, i got to say, Capcom is... I mean, this is off the back of the Onimusha remaster, which was more of a straightforward remaster. Uh, and they've still got Devil May Cry 5 to come. So... yeah. This could be a very fine year for Capcom. Yeah, I I think it's... Resident Evil is a really interesting series to look at because it sort of grew, grew, grew in quality and then it had some some a couple of rough years and it's managed to really recover itself and have like a proper renaissance after yeah. a couple of so-so entries, which I can't think of any other game that's done that. I feel like a big part of it is that Capcom still genuinely cares about Resident Evil. Yeah. It's not just a money-making thing for them. Well, obviously, that's a big part of it. Um, but it, it doesn't just seem to be about the money. Uh, it, it seems like they still genuinely believe in that series and want it to be good. You can see how, like, Resident Evil's 4, 5, and 6, how that progression happened and how they felt that was the direction that people wanted to go. And, he, and when 6 didn't work out for them, they were like, okay, let's go back to the roots. What did people like before? We'll start there. Like, they really have done a good job of feeling what the audience wanted. I'm impressed. I've got issues with Capcom, like I've got issues with oh, yeah. any AAA publisher, but... Big corporate business, yeah. but... But they still seem to be maintaining some artistic integrity, and they've, yeah. unlike some other publishers that do the whole, oh, this game failed to meet our expectations, Capcom does that all the time, but it doesn't seem like they've used that to axe studios and axe 
projects mm. to the degree of a, that a lot of uh, publishers do. They haven't felt the need to turn Resident Evil into a pachinko machine yet. No, no, they they seem they seem to take the information as a how can we creatively improve the game rather than just how can we, you know up the amount of content we sell on top of the game and, and yeah. how can we monetize it? Which, that was Activision's first thing when Destiny 2 was going performing below expectations. Their answer, because they've got no imagination, is, well, well more monetization, clearly. Let's try and squeeze more money out of the same people. Whereas Capcom's approach, to its credit, seems to have been, well, let's try something else. Let's, let's try it. Let's try and a creative way out of a situation if a series is not performing how we want it to. Yeah, let's try making a better game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why Resident Evil as well has, has had such an evolution in different types of games over the years. An evolution, even. An evolution, yes. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I got to doff my hat to uh, doff my cap, that's the phrase. That's a great phrase. You can doff you can doff your hat if you'd prefer. You can, you can. I, I just find doff one's cap to be more charming. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, I do that. I doff whatever I've got on me head to uh, Capcom <laughs> for trying to maintain and seemingly succeeding uh, some artistic integrity as well as attempting to make as much money as possible. Which a lot of companies, they sacrifice one for the other. Great game. Yeah. Uh, other gaming stuff this week. Um, I've got an update on my, my, my replaying of Mass Effect Andromeda that has been going on for the last few weeks. Oh, yeah. I actually think I quite like Andromeda. Like, it's, gone, fr it's gone from just being okay to I actually kind of like it. Like, oh, my. I, it's, it's going up to the positive end. So... I've been thinking a lot about Mass Effect Andromeda this week and being like, why didn't I like this when it came out and why do I like it a lot more now? Yeah. I don't know if... I, I don't remember my first playthrough well enough to remember how much of this is down to patches and things being changed. I think a lot of it is just design decisions in Andromeda are so antithetical to what was done in the original trilogy that I was doing a lot of, like... No, that, that that's not how you do it in Mass Effect, though. Yeah. Um... So, like, there's a lot of things I will say are still complaints. Like, I think that they really missed an opportunity to have more new species encountered, particularly considering you were going to a whole new galaxy, they didn't have to rely on the same few alien races to do all the heavy lifting, stuff like that. Um, I guess what I've been finding interesting is the different takes in how the moral choices are done and how their world exploration is done. So, moral choices in Mass Effect Andromeda don't really amount to anything in most cases, which, first time through, I thought was a problem. I was like, well, what's the point? There's no outcome to... This doesn't change anything in the world. I've actually been kind of enjoying that this time around. It's quite nice to be able to make moral decisions without feeling like it's going to affect some mechanical payoff later. To actually think about a moral choice in a vacuum was quite nice. Um, I stopped looking at these big, big worlds in Andromeda as places to get from A to B and was more like, okay, let's just take our time and 100% these places and get a feel for them. And when I wasn't rushing around them so much, I found a lot of interesting content to enjoy. Hmm. I actually quite like Andromeda on a couple of years down. 
I've been liking it more as I've gone on. I, I I probably won't give it another chance, mostly because I, I approached it differently because yeah. that Andromeda played more like my kind of game than other Mass Effect games, mm. but I still found it fairly dull. Um, so I don't think my opinion will change because I'm not, I won't be coming at it from a fresh perspective. Yeah. Um, I've got no doubt they fixed a lot of the bugs. Yeah. But I, Lordy knows how many are still in there. Oh, they're, they're, they're certainly not gone though. Oh, sure. I, I, I can tell you some fun fucking stories I've had of bugs. I was in an <laughs> underground dungeon at one point and I got stuck in an infinite death loop where I was respawning with incredibly little health in a place that would uh, cause me to die a few seconds later and I couldn't get out to escape. And after dying to this loop a couple of times, instead of respawning me in the underground dungeon, it respawned me on the surface of the planet with all of the underground lighting effects still on. So all of the lighting was broken and I was for some reason back at my ship and I had to find my way back to this underground dungeon in order to get back to where the underground lighting effect was meant to be happening to to stop it in the overworld. Oh, delightful. That was one... Is that on the icy planet? Yes, the icy planet. That planet was so boring. Did oh you have God. the same problem on the icy planet? No, I just remember it having a lot of underground areas and being incredibly boring. Yeah, yeah. That was the one that really got me into liking that overworld. I spent, like, I didn't go to the quest marker on that planet and I just went exploring. And I really enjoyed just finding shit to do out there. Some of some of the little things you found in the world were pretty cool there, like the... um. The creatures under the ice, the big and and whoever's mm. with you tells you about them. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, like I've I've just been enjoying stumbling upon these little moral questions that don't really affect the ending of the game, but just just exist for their own sake. Like there there was one that's pretty early on in the game that I thought was just a very interesting discussion, which is there's a man who's in prison for attempt for for murdering for murdering his commanding officer in the army. And he swears blind he didn't do it. And this is its a big high-profile case because he's the first person in this galaxy to be charged for murder. And you go investigate it and it turns out he didn't commit the murder, but he fired a shot intending to kill him, thought he had killed him, and then gloated about killing him. Oh, oh yeah, I remember, I remember that. that one, yeah. Whoa, snap. <laughs> yeah, and you have this moment of like, it's like, does it matter morally that he technically did not commit the murder if he attempted to and thought he had? Mm. And what are the the outcomes of going back on the first murder conviction you try and make in a new galaxy? Does that undermine your whole legal system? I just thought it was a really interesting little plot thread yeah. to ponder. That said, it it did, if I recall correctly, it did. the The quest relies on a universe in which attempted murder doesn't have any precedent set for it. Yeah, so, like, I never went that route, but the implication did sound kind of like it's, if he didn't commit actual murder, we have to let him go. It's like, well, no, you could charge him with attempted murder instead. Yeah, there are other crimes (laughs) that you could do. Um, Yeah. That is a criticism that's totally fair, but, like, I enjoyed the question it was pondering regardless. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, intent and, and result and all this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had some interesting stuff germinating in there. Yeah. I found one on the ice planet where it was like, hey, the only real bit of history these people on the ice planet have is these fish. They're like very sacred to them. They don't, don't, you don't poach those fish. And a scientist was like, hey, I realise that their their skin can like help us to protect against those aliens who are attacking us and it could save countless lives. 
but also like I'm well aware that my people will never acknowledge that like this is okay because it goes against our whole belief system. Will you just let me keep doing this, or you're gonna you're gonna dob me in? There were just some interesting little encounters. Yeah, and I've been really enjoying it. <laughs> there were some decent little, you know, some writing in there that was decent. I actually liked that one character who everyone hated. Uh, whose name I've completely forgotten now. Jacob. Um, no, she was um, what? Asari. Oh, PB. Oh, PB. PB. I don't think I don't think as many people hated PB. I think it was Jacob who was really hate. No, not Jacob. I really. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, not Jacob. Uh, Liam. Yeah, Liam. Oh God, Liam. Yeah. Oh, I know there was one person. I think that Liam that they re- everyone did despise, but there was. I remember there being quite a bit of hate for PB as well. Oh yeah, no, J- I liked Jacob, and actually, a lot of people didn't like Jacob in Mass Effect Two, and I liked him. Liam generally annoyed me, but I did enjoy his comedic shirtless scenes and his loyalty mission on the like ship that keeps turning, the gravity keeps switching. That was really fun. Oh yeah, that was a very cool mission. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I really like. I've I've enjoyed a lot of the interactions with PB. I like that we eventually got to see a, a female, um, whatever the species Garrus Garrus was. I've, Turian. Turian, yeah. Vet Vetra isn't it? Is her name? Yeah, yeah, Vetra. I I still think it would have been better. I would have liked to have more than one new alien species in Jarl on the crew and stuff like that. But no, yeah. I I've gone to actually quite liking this to the point that I've that you know there were like five worlds to go to. Mm-hmm. I've got the first three of them up to a hundred percent viability before moving on to the fourth world. Wow! I I am Aye. I'm going around doing side quests for fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I've enjoyed it more for not trying to power through it. I think. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Uh, other things. Gav, have you played anything this week? Sadly not. I am Mr. Redundant again. I haven't had time to play any video games. I haven't even picked up a controller. Oh no. Oh well. It's alright. Oh wait, I, I played I played I played Spider-Man for literally five minutes. Oh, how how were your five minutes at Spider-Man? <laughs> I swung around and got some backpacks. There you go. That was my only gaming this week. <laughs> <laughs> I downloaded the um season pass content for that now. Um, oh, yeah. for Spider-Man because I was like well you know everything's out I know what it's like it, I really wanted to play the DLC um, but then I got that code for Resident Evil 2 so I haven't got around to it but uh, I also have that Spider-Man DLC ready to go and I'm I'm waiting for like a weekend where I can just binge it yeah once I got some downtime I'm, eager, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what Laura thinks of Black Cat's butt when she plays the the DLC. I will let you know <laughs> as soon as I have opinions. Yeah. Um, oh, that Shadows of the Damned we were talking about last week as well. That is apparently like five bucks or something now and is Xbox One compatible. <gasps> so I might have to get that as, again and play that again. So nice. I, from what I remember, very recommendable for people who like weird shit. A uh, couple of quick bits of news that are mainly updates from last week. Um, you know how Ubisoft make, made your character have, have a baby with someone, whether you wanted to or not, in the Assassin's Creed? Uh, uh, uh. Uh, they issued an apology, question mark. Um, what they said was, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, sorry we made your character be straight and have a baby. Please buy the next DLC where we will promise not to make you be straight if you don't want to. We won't change yeah. this one, but you can be gay next time if you give us a bit more money. 
I think it's very telling the people who didn't have a problem with this, but had a problem with things like the Mass Effect 3 ending or the Fallout ending, Fallout 3 ending, um, where player choice is paramount unless it affects gay people. Unless it affects the gays. Then it's a freedom of speech issue. Yeah. Um, Similar to how, you know, it was great. Uh, and everyone was loving it when I was bagging on asset flips on Steam. But then some of the asset flips turned out to be racist and homophobic. And then I was suddenly calling for censorship. Um, <laughs> don't think I don't see it. Don't think I don't see the increase in um, disagreement and just asking questions and dislikes when only when it's about that one topic. Even if it's under the purview of topics I've talked about before without protest, without issue, uh, it's just this time the only modifier is that it affected some, you know, it affected LGBTQ people in some way. Then suddenly it's a different issue. It's funny that, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm I'm just saying quite quite cheerfully, don't think I don't see it. It's so obvious. It is so blatant. It's pitiful. Come on. Uh, the other bit of news we got is you know how we talked last week about how Black Ops Four was adding little like yellow warning triangles next to everyone to tell you whether you bought the DLC or not. Oh yeah. Um, that was apparently a glitch. Dot dot dot. They were only supposed to shame you to your friends, not to the whole world. Oh, well, that makes it much better. Yeah, only your friends were supposed to be able to see the yellow triangle of you. you're the reason we can't have fun with the new maps. To be honest, the one way to shame people in that game is to give is, is to sell them that fucking red dot site for $2. Because whoever has that on their gun is oh, immediately God. shameful. <laughs> <laughs> two bucks for a Two bucks for a dot site in a game for a smiley yeah that's absurd and they 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 have the whole they have it like in a legendary purple box and everything it's just so fucking i'm just loving with this with this dl uh, with this um yellow triangle story that they thought that that made it better they were like oh no no you misunderstand we weren't supposed to tell the whole world we only wanted your friends to know that you're cheapskate yeah as if that made it better yeah like the psychological impact is still there like it's still clear what they're trying to do if if anything those are the people most likely to shame you into buying the season pass if hey our group of eight people wants to play the new maps but we can't when we play with you i can i can remember in the cod days if there was one of the people in the party that didn't have the dlcs everyone be like oh for fuck's sake yeah yeah and and trust activision to find a way to monetize that yeah (laughs) monetize (laughs) monetize the breakdown of friendships yeah yeah (laughs) we at activision we believe strongly in monetizing social friction for our benefit (laughs) for the benefit of you the shareholder the only actual customer in this entire arrangement Fuck me, the game industry is a broken piece of shit. We highly encourage you ostracize your friends who have less money than you. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. Activision is... Oh, what slime. What oh. slime. There we go. That's. I think that's us done for this week. I think we've done all the things. That might be us done, yeah. Yeah. That might be us done. Wasn't a whole lot of gaming news this week, was there? Not really, not really. It's been an odd energy this week. Oh, I, I saw some... Um, I saw some new gameplay from Metro Exodus, and that is that is shaping up to be a really good one. Oh yeah, that's out in a minute, isn't it? It's looking really, really impressive. Yeah. Fucking Anthem's supposed to be out uh, in February. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. I have no idea. I have no idea how it will do. I've never been less excited about a Bioware game. Honestly, yeah. I, I've got... I'm going to get it. But my my anticipation for it comes out of nothing but curiosity. Mm. Professional curiosity, even. Because if I were just playing games, um, if I had a different job, I don't think I'd get this. But I've got professional curiosity in it. Yeah. And I hope it's good. But, I mean, at E3 last year... They showed the same bit of footage over and over again and mostly talked over concept art. And that was the last year. Back at last E3, it looked like it was a bunch of paintings and they hadn't started making a game yet. Yeah. Well, there there are a fair few gameplays out there now. People got to go and play it and stuff. But uh... Yeah, there is a demo uh, on the horizon and all that. But it just didn't fill me with any confidence and certainly no anticipation. Mm. Uh that at E3 they had nothing to show for themselves, or barely anything. Yeah. I don't think I've seen anything that resembles a story cutscene that's made me go, yes, this is what I want from Bioware. Yeah, that's what that's what bugs me, because, I mean, for me, like, you on a, on a professional level, I want games with great stories <laughs> that yeah. I can write about. I don't want, you know... Well, yeah, they help you do the songs, yeah. Yeah, like, we've talked about Andromeda. What was I talking about? Interesting moral choices. yeah. I, I barely mentioned the shooting. I loved the themes. In, when Andromeda came out, I was like uh, in the process of moving house. And that yeah. game's themes are all about like settling down somewhere new and yeah. making making a go of it somewhere. You know, and I, I, I really thought that was cool. Yeah. I mean, I hope Anthem's got something. Because, Gav, you are staring at the ability to do a song called The Anthem Anthem. And <laughs> if, if the game is not inspiring, what a waste that will be. Double good Charlotte. Yeah. Didn't they? Was it them or was it My Chemical Romance? Yeah, yeah, they did the anthem. The anthem. Yeah. This is the anthem, throw all your hands up, woo. There you go. Yeah. Don't want to be just like you. See, I remember like mid, mid-2000s mid like, uh... pop punk. There's a rumour floating around that Bioware want to do another Knights of the Old Republic and EA won't let them. <gasps> that was some rumour. I don't know how substantiated it is. They're going to absolutely have to nail the next Dragon Age. It's going to have to be brilliant. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still maintain that Anthem is going to be an important game, regardless of its own performance, because it could influence the, the future of Bioware. I'm still salty that they put the most important moment in, in Dragon Age Inquisition in the bloody DLC. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> becoming par for the course with a lot of games. Yeah, well, they do that with a lot of Bioware games. Bioware do that way too often. Yeah. Like Javik. Yeah. Javik should have been in the in the core Mass Effect 3 game because he's like so essential to the backstory. Yeah. yeah. Well, publishers don't care about story, do they? They only care about story insofar as how many can we sucker into this game's world so we can extract more money from them. And that's where we see things like it, crucial story content. And certainly last generation, a few video game endings locked behind bloody DLC. Mm-hmm. It's a shambles. Didn't, Prince of, didn't even Prince of Persia, you had to get a DLC to get the ending. Yep. That one no one remembers now. The the quasi cell shady ish looking ish one. A somewhat unfairly maligned game, I feel like, because I, I I booted that up recently and um it still looks absolutely gorgeous. Sure, it's not the most challenging game in the world and the combat is dog shit, but as a platformer, it's really it's quite fun and it's very beautiful to look at. It was all right from what I remember. Mm. It was okay. Just I don't 
I barely remember a thing about it. There was another Prince of Persia that came out after that that I remember even less about. Um, one where they tried to bring it a lot more back to basics. The the only Prince of Persia I remember is the one where he had like his evil shadow version of himself. Oh, oh two, two thrones. thrones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the edgy the edgy one where it's like here's the emo version of him that all you angsty teens can. The buy. one before that was even more edgy. The Warrior Within <laughs> might have been the Warrior Within. Yeah, Warrior Within was all uh, grim dark. Yeah. And BDSM villainesses. Ah, stand alone. I think they, I, 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 as far as I recall, they did actually have that Godsmack song on the soundtrack. Yeah, I'd like to see another Prince of Persia. They, they'd, they'll turn it into an open world game and make it almost indistinguishable from Assassin's Creed. But I'd like to see it. I want to see another Shadow the Hedgehog, but you know that's just me. <laughs> that last one actually had some very good gameplay and platforming. Like out of the, out of all the Prince of Persia games, that last one had some really, really clever platforming, especially towards the end, and really challenging. The last one I remember was quite good. It's just, that's all I remember about it. It was just forgettable, yeah. Yeah. The com- I also remember the combat in Warrior Within being fucking super difficult. It had a weird rhythm to it. It had a strange little rhythm to it that took getting used to. Again, I'm going purely off memory. Um... I think the last time I played that was like the PSP or Vita version of it that came out. That that fight with, um, I think her name was Kylina, the Empress. When you had to fight her, I, I don't think I've ever died to a boss <laughs> so many times. <laughs> the Dahaka. That was a good... I'm going to go replay yeah. that game. With all its, with all its Eastern-tinged <laughs> metal. <laughs> New metal. Uh, it's weird they haven't tried to do another one of those. Well, I suppose with with Assassin's Creed. Yeah, yeah I mean that's it. Like if they did one now, they would, they would op- open the world up and and throw in all the similar kind of simplified parkour to the point where you would be like, well, I'm just playing Assassin's Creed, but I can turn yeah. back time a little bit. Uh, but anyway, that is what that is. Trans rights. Um, we're done, I think. I think that's us. We're done. For the podquisition. Um, people can tell people what where to go to see more stuff. Laura, you could do that. What, me? Laura gave us all the places. I've got two books happening this year. I've been waffling on about it for a while, but they will come out eventually. Uh, things I Learned from Mario's Butt, that's up on Unbound. I'm taking a week next week to just spend a week putting that book together, so that's going to be fun, getting the words finished. Uh, I've got a memoir, Uncomfortable Labels, that's about gay trans autism stuff. So those are things you can find on the internet. Wonderful. And Gavin, music man who does the music, where can people see your things, hear your things? You can search for Miracle of Sound on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or any good music streaming service. And you will find all my lovely tunes, some of which are about video games. And you can follow me on Twitter at Miracle of Sound. And if you'd like to keep me in a job, it's Patreon Miracle of Sound. And Laura, I think I did the same thing as you this week on the stream. I forgot to yeah. tell people who I was, except at like the very big, very beginning. <laughs> a lot was happening. It, it, there were a lot of things going on. Mm. So yeah, good week. Excellent. For the gaming community, that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, well, I'm going to go and just return to my not so good week i'm i'm gonna go strap a vr headset on and ignore the world for a few hours oh that sounds great oh go play some astro boy it's really charming nice i'm gonna play some of that night in the woods because i think i mentioned a moment ago i um 
when I was on the live stream, um, one of the devs was also on it. And so I downloaded it on the Switch and complained to them about it being 1999 because I've not made a money. Um, it's good though. It's good. I've, I've I've only played about ten minutes so far, but it's it's very charming. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it because I've I've heard it it goes to places and stuff. So I'm looking forward to seeing where it yeah, goes. That that it do. Look forward to the first music rhythm section. Oh, I found yeah yeah. I bumped into the the guitar playing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how it opens up. Uh, that might be. Yeah, I'll do that once I can't be bothered with today anymore. Uh, and we will see you next time. Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for your support. It's always um, gratefully received. And we will see you next time. Trans rights. Bye. Bye. Bye.